0: Exodus chapter 30 verse 1 And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, Of acacia wood shalt thou make it, Two, and a cubit shall be the length thereof, And a cubit the breadth thereof, Four square shall it be, And two cubits shall be the height thereof, The horns thereof shall be of one piece with it. This is the table where they are going to make the perfume and the incense. And this table will be on the east side of the veil, and the veil will separate it from the Ark of the Covenant. The closest thing to the Ark of the Covenant is the perfume table. It's shaped like a square, and it has four horns, one on each corner, just like the altar. It has a similar design to the altar. 3. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. It also has a crown of gold. It's for decoration because Jesus is royal. Revelation says that he has many crowns, not just one. That's the reason why there's crowns around all of these items four and two golden rings shalt thou make for it under the crown thereof upon the two ribs thereof upon the two sides of it shalt thou make them and they shall be for places for staves wherewith to bear it this is going to be held by poles the staves are the poles that go into the holes on each side men will carry it behind and in front by touching the poles Five, and thou shalt make the staves of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Six, and thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the ark cover that is over the testimony where I will meet with thee. And when you walk into the temple or the tabernacle, on your left is the seven lighted candlestick that's as tall as a person and weighs 57 pounds. On your right is a somewhat small showbread table that has the bread of the presence, and the wine, and some frankincense. And in front of you is this perfume table that has perfume on it. Then behind that is the veil, and behind that is the Ark of the Covenant. 7. And Aaron shall burn thereupon incense of sweet spices every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn it. After he lights the lamps, then he's going to go to the perfume table and burn the perfume. Eight, and when Aaron lighteth the lamps at dusk, the evening, he shall burn it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. God intended this perfume to be for generations and generations, to be made and to scent the entire tabernacle. There are verses that talk about Jesus having perfume on his robes in Song of Solomon. Jesus does have a perfume. That's what this scent is going to represent. Nine ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt offering, nor meal offering, and ye shall pour no drink offering thereon. All the offerings are outside the tabernacle. At the altar that's outside the tabernacle, there's no offerings inside the tabernacle. The tabernacle represents heaven and it represents God's throne room in heaven. There's no sacrifices in heaven because God made the sacrifice his son here on earth. Outside the tabernacle represents earth in the courtyard outside the tabernacle. And that's where his son was crucified, was on earth. All these golden tables and things, there will be no sacrifice on them. But um, Moses is going to later be told to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll learn about that later. 10. And Aaron shall make atonement upon the horns of it once a year, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once in the year, shall he make atonement for it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. There's one time of the year that the high priest, there's a lot of priests, but then there's the high priest. There's only one high priest in Israel at a time. Once a year he will make atonement on this table of perfume. He'll put blood on each of the four horns with his finger. And once a year he'll go in behind the veil into where the Ark of the Covenant is in the presence of the Lord. And if he dies there, they'll have to pull him out with a rope. So he'll have a rope tied to his ankle once a year to do these things. And a couple of chapters ago, it had said that God requires that all the men of Israel come before him three times a year on the three major feasts. The first feast is at the beginning of the year at Passover. Then the next feast is in the beginning of harvest season when they're planting the crops. And the third feast is the end of harvest harvest season, when they're harvesting the crops. And at all three of those times, all the men of Israel have to appear before the Lord. And what that means literally is every man who's considered a man, not a child, has to travel to Jerusalem once a year to make sacrifices during these three holidays. That's what it's talking about. Jesus, when he grew up, his family traveled to Jerusalem three times a year. The day of Pentecost was at one of those feasts. It must have been the feast when they're planting the crops because it was shortly after he was crucified that was pentecost and that's why there were so many different languages in jerusalem that's why there was people from all different parts of the world because it was all the jewish men who had traveled to jerusalem at that appointed time of the year because it was the law 11 And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 12 When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel, according to their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. God would actually send a a plague on the people if they don't obey this law. And he's telling them that every able-bodied man has to pay a ransom for his soul. And that's a price. It's a certain type of offering or tithe that's going to be financial. They actually have to pay a ransom for being alive. But it's only the able-bodied men, the men of age. That represents that Jesus paid the ransom for our souls so that we could go to heaven. 13. This they shall give, everyone that passeth among them that are numbered, half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel for an offering to the Lord. A shekel is a form of money. Twenty geras makes a shekel, so they are paying twenty geras for their life. 14. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and upward shall give the offering of the Lord. Each man has to be at least 20 years old, otherwise they don't get numbered. God doesn't number all the people in Israel. He only numbers the men that are 21 years or older. Those are the only ones who have to pay a ransom. It isn't because men are more special. It's because God is our Father, not our Mother. And Jesus Christ is our brother, and our husband, and our friend. He's not our sister. We'll talk about this more later, but God is not female. He is male 100%. He doesn't have sexual organs. He doesn't have sex. He doesn't procreate. But He is spiritually male. His persona is male. Some people claim that God is male and female. It's absolutely not true. God is not female. He's only male. Because female represents many. Male represents one. And that's why the Bible says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's why his persona is always male. The men represent that persona of God. And God never wants all the people numbered because that would make their leader greedy and think of taxing them. Numbers are always about taxes. That's why God doesn't want every person numbered. 16 And thou shalt take the atonement money from the children of Israel, and shalt appoint it for the service of the Tent of Meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for your souls. The money that gets paid is going to keep the temple up and running. It's going to keep it in pristine order, clean, it's going to supply the incense, and all the other things that are needed for the temple, the, the priest's robes and all of that stuff. 17, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 18, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and the base thereof of brass, whereat to wash, and thou shalt put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. So it's a big, giant bath of water made of brass, and it's in the courtyard between the entrance of the tabernacle and the entrance of the courtyard. 19. And Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. 20 When they go into the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water, that they die not, or when they come near to the altar to minister, to cause an offering made by fire to smoke unto the Lord. They always have to cleanse their body before they put on the priestly garments and before they meet the Lord. 21 So they shall wash their hands and their feet, that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. The feet are full of dust, and that's where we walk, and that dust is from the earth, and we're of God. We're not of this world anymore when we become born again. We're citizens of heaven. Maybe that's why he has them wash their feet. It says here that if they wash their hands and their feet, they're clean. And when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, Peter said, Lord, if you want to wash our feet, then wash my whole body. Because Peter wanted more of whatever the blessing was. And Peter said, if I'm going to get blessed by you washing my feet, then wash all of me. And Jesus said to Peter, if your feet are clean, you're all clean. And here is the exact same thing being said about the priest. If their hands and feet are clean, they're all clean. So with their hands and their feet clean, the filth of the world is off of them. Because your hands touch everything filthy, and your feet are covered in dust. 22 Moreover the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, 23 Take thou also unto thee the chief spices, of flowing myrrh 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon half so much, even 250, and of sweet calamus 250. It's one part calamus, one part cinnamon, and two parts myrrh. Myrrh means bitterness and sorrow, and it represents Jesus on the cross. Cinnamon represents holiness, calamus represents redemption. Because Jesus has purchased our souls. He's holy. He and He suffered. 24. And of cassia, 500. After the shekel of the sanctuary. There's two parts cassia. These are all precious herbs. Cassia represents humility. And Jesus is more humble than anybody else in the whole universe because He left His own throne of glory and He is God and he came to earth as a man, and lived humbly with us, and then he let us spit on him, pull his beard, beat him up, and crucify him. If that isn't humble, nothing's humble. I mean, that's the epitome of humility. For God to allow his son to die for us, and for God to die for us, it's just incredible. And put up with us, because he was constantly harassed by the religious leaders when he was on earth. And of olive oil, a hen, so one hen of olive oil. A hen is one and a half gallons and a shekels are really small. So this is mostly oil with these precious ointments in it. 25 And thou shalt make it a holy anointing oil, a perfume compounded after the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. I have an anointing oil that's obviously based in olive oil and has a lot of these spices in it, and I've noticed that the cinnamon is what gives it the really beautiful smell. I think most of the smell is coming from the cinnamon. It's got a beautiful smell when cinnamon is in olive oil. It's just amazing. 26 And thou shalt anoint therewith the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony. He has to actually anoint the tabernacle itself with this oil and the ark of the covenant that has the tablets of law in it, the stone tablets. 27 and the table and all the vessels thereof, and the candlestick, and the vessels thereof, and the altar of incense. The priest is going to anoint everything with oil, which is basically dipping his finger in the oil and putting the oil on all of these items, the candlestick, the showbread table, everything. 28 and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof, and the laver and the base thereof. Also, in the courtyard, he's going to anoint the altar and the laver and the base. 29, and thou shalt sanctify them, that they may be most holy. Whatsoever touches them shall be holy. They're sanctified. They're only for one purpose. Man cannot decide that he's going to do something different with these items. He can't go, oh, this would be good for this purpose. I'm going to do this too. And then on the holy days, I'm going to use it for God. Mm -mm. It can only be for God all the time. 30 And thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. The priests had these golden cups that they drank out of, but this is all by God's command when they took the drink offering and stuff. And in the book of Daniel, an evil king had possession of these items and he served them at his table during a banquet. He had stolen these items from Israel. He had raided the temple and taken these items. And he served the people at his banquet with these golden cups. And they were only intended, they were sanctified only for the purposes of the Lord. But he used them in his evil party. And that was when the writing on the wall occurred. We'll get to this later in the book of Daniel. But God's finger wrote a curse on the wall of where the banquet was. And that curse came on the kingdom. And it was the day that they used the Lord's things for their own purpose. That's, you know, a warning to all of us. What's for the Lord is for the Lord, and what is for his purpose is for his purpose, and we don't use it for our purpose. thirty, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and sanctify them that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. Anointing is when they pour oil over their head. 31. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. It's a special oil that's only for God and for his purposes. It's used to anoint the priests, and later on it will be used to anoint the kings that God chooses to be kings. 32. Upon the flesh of man shall it not be poured, neither shall ye make any like it according to the composition thereof. It is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. I think he's meaning you don't use it for your own perfume. This is my perfume. You use it to anoint what I say to anoint it with. You don't use it to perfume yourself. 33. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, meaning whoever makes it at home, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, he shall be cut off from his people. So we aren't supposed to try to imitate the things of the Lord and use it for our own glory, and a lot of people in the religious circles, they do try to imitate things of the Lord and use it for their own personal glory and their own personal gain. Thirty-four, and the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte that represents crucifixion, and this is part of myrrh, the liquid that comes from myrrh. It represents crucifixion, and anitsha that represents godly authority, and galbanum. That represents perseverance, which is one of the characters of God, and it's one of the Christian characters listed in the New Testament. And frankincense, and that represents the priesthood itself. Of each shall there be a like weight. So equal parts of all of those spices. Equal parts of stactae, anicha, galbanum, and frankincense. 35 And thou shalt make of it incense, a perfume after the art of the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. They have equal parts of all those spices, and then they sprinkle salt on it. And then that becomes the incense that gets burned. The incense that they sell in stores today is new age. It smells really gross. It's got witchcraft in it, because it's from Hinduism and Buddhism and all that stuff. It's it's not good to burn that incense. But this incense is totally different. This actually smelled good. This formula smelled really good, and it was only used for God. I don't use incense at all, because I know the stuff that they sell is all New Age stuff. I do use anointing oil for prayer. Seasoned with salt is important, because in the New Testament, Jesus tells us that we are like the salt of the world. And if we lose our seasoning, our lives are worthless to the world. The reason we are salty, Jesus says, is because we are living for the Lord. We are preaching his gospel, we are abstaining from sin, we are praying for people we're leading others to Christ. But when we lose our saltiness, meaning that we have a dead spirituality, a dead Christian life, and we just go to church and play church, and then all the other times we do what we want, we go to the games and we go to the parties, we go to the concerts, and we do everything that's worldly. We go to the casino, we go on the beach and wear a bikini that exposes our body to strangers, and do everything that the world does. That causes us to lose our saltiness. And then our prayers are weak if we pray at all at that point. We aren't spending time with the Lord, reading his word. We aren't serving him in any way. There's a whole lot of Christians that have lost their saltiness. And so you and I, every day we have to make a choice to stay salty. And Jesus said, when salt loses its flavor, it's it's worth nothing. Our Christian lives become worthless when we stop carrying our cross and living for the Lord. And carrying the cross, it doesn't mean that you're miserable and sad all the time. There's a lot of joy in carrying the cross. There is a lot of joy in giving up the things of the world. I'm not perfect, but I know from experience that whenever I give up something of the world, God replaces it with joy and fullness and abundance. I'm actually happier when I walk away from worldly things. When the Lord tells me, don't do this, and I don't do it, I'm happier. It's neat. He doesn't leave you empty. He always fills you up. He always replaces the things of the world. Once you give those up, you won't be empty. Carrying your cross is actually a very joyful thing most of the time. Satan will come after you, but most of the time you're full of peace and joy. 36. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting, where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. And again, so this is this incense is beaten as well, just like Jesus was beaten. 37. And the incense which thou shalt make, according to the composition thereof, ye shall not make for yourselves, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. You can't make it for your home and burn it in your home. It's not to glorify man. 38 Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereof, he shall be cut off from his people. We are allowed to have perfume and incense, but it shouldn't be witchcraft and it shouldn't be his formula that we're using to glorify ourselves. His formula is only for him. And that concludes Exodus chapter 30.